We're going to, this morning, talk about the story of Elijah. And uh, one of the most, I think, human stories that exist in the Bible is the story of Elijah from 1 Kings 19. I want to just give, before Lowell reads the text for us, give you a little context to the story. Um, if you're not familiar with it or you haven't heard it in a while, <clears throat> Elijah was a prophet just raised up and felt um, that he had a message to deliver to the people of Israel. And uh, what he said to them, is my microphone working okay? All right. What he said to them was that uh, there wasn't going to be any rain for a while, and he brought this message to the king, to King Ahab. Uh, you may not remember the name Ahab, but you probably remember the name of his wife, who was Jezebel. We use that in popular terms. Actually, read a whole interesting commentary about how Jezebel's been a little misaligned, as many strong women have been in the course of history. But that's another sermon. Um, <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's interesting. We'll have to go back to that one some other time." But Elijah is a powerhouse of a prophet, and he takes on Ahab, the king of Israel, and his wife Jezebel, because they are worshiping other gods. They're worshiping Baal, and they're worshiping Asherah, who is the female goddess of the time. He's known as a troubler of Israel. And he wants to prove that the God of Israel, the God El, that as they called God in those days, was the most powerful God. And that the Baal worship was wrong. And so he basically triple dog dared the Baal prophets to a showdown and said, okay, we're going to take these two bulls and we're going to both sac sacrifice both of them. And so... The prophets of Baal came. There were 450 prophets. And then there was another 400 prophets of Asherah. And they had so they had 850 prophets doing ritual sacrifices. I have to say I was giggling as I refreshed myself on this story. So if you want an entertaining read, go back to 1 Kings about 17, 18 to read this. And they started dancing and they were cutting themselves and they were singing and they were doing all sorts of stuff and praying that their God would send down fire from heaven to consume this sacrifice. And they were just almost killing themselves to get this done. And Elijah just sat there and watched them and he mocked them and said, where is your God now? And then he prepared his altar and he put the bull out. And he poured water all over the altar three times so that the, like the well, the moat around the altar was full of water. There was no way that thing was going to catch on fire. And then he prayed a simple prayer. And the story says the fire came down and everything was consumed in a moment. So Elijah had this amazing moment of triumph. And all the people said, we believe you. Your God is the true and correct God. And they all ran. And Ahab went home and he told Jezebel what had happened. And Jezebel was not happy. And she sent a message to Elijah to say that he, 
would be dead as soon as possible, that his life was on the line. And that's where we pick up this story. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I'll have, ha I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bre bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down it again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. So what is there to say about this passage? I feel like it just kind of speaks for itself. Elijah is at the top of his game, the most powerful he's ever been. What does he have to, to feel sad about or upset about? He's at the highest high, massive spiritual success. And yet this threat to his life, while serious, levels him. These days we call it post-trauma, I think, post-adrenaline, the adrenaline is gone. Siri has something to say about that too. Um, disappointment. I've given so much, God. Can you hear the little bit of kind of feeling sorry for himself in his own voice? I've given so much. I have done all of these things. I've proved that you are the God. Everything seems so clear. I've made my case, miracles, reason, logic, and yet my life is still threatened. And yet there's still some who don't understand what's happening. And yet I'm not in the clear. This is a part of the human experience. And as I read this story, I could feel it in my own bones, <laughs> coming down off an intense year in which we had a great year. And, you know, teachers, and looking at Julie, she was a teacher. She did an amazing job with her students this year. I know my sister Julie did an amazing job. All of us have been pushing so hard and working so hard to get through this year, and we feel like we're ready to go. But... But there's still this sense of, I had someone tell me recently, I just feel disoriented. I just am not quite sure where I'm at. 
Another person told me this week, I just can't quite get out of this funk that I'm in. It just, the emotions keep coming and I feel tender. And so even when we're successful, even when things are going really well, we can still fall into this place where all we know to do is to sleep. Where all we can do is hope someone brings us something to eat. We come to the end of our capacities and our strength. We all do at some point, even when, and maybe even especially when, we're really successful. Because it can be lonely to be successful too, right? Everyone thinks, well, they don't need anything. They're, they're doing great. They just had this huge fire come down and all the water was gone and that was awesome. They don't need anything. Sometimes that's the most lonely and difficult place for us. And this is what I think is the mark of how we know when God shows up in our lives, is tenderness. If I was to use my favorite, think of my favorite description of God, it would be that word, tenderness. God comes to us and is just tender, just knows exactly what we need knows that little tiny turn of our heart or our soul that we need to to keep moving forward. God doesn't come in miraculous signs in this moment. God just comes and says, go ahead and sleep for a while. Here's some bread. Here's a cup of water. Take what you need for your journey and go ahead and move on. In the cave that Elijah goes into, he has another famous encounter that you might be familiar with where God comes in a storm and in a wind, or there is a storm and a wind that comes, and he he doesn't hear God in that. But finally, God comes to Elijah in silence. And it's interesting to me that even before Elijah was ready to hear the silence, Elijah had to take a nap, and he needed a good meal. I love that the Hebrew, it said, could be translated, that silence, the sound of finely ground silence. <laughs> and so I don't know where you fall on this continuum. Maybe you're getting all the rest you need this summer, but I know there's many of us that are needing some space and needing to experience that tenderness of God. Many of us are tired. As I thought about preaching from this passage on the 4th of July, I thought, okay, well, where's, what's the connection for us on this day? And I thought, you know what, like Elijah, we're in a divided country. <laughs> and a lot of us have been really struggling with that. And it's been breaking our hearts to see how far apart we are from people that we love, to see how part, uh, far apart we are from our fellow citizens. We're divided by politics. We've been divided by this pandemic. It feels like we can't ever get on the same page. If you read the New York Times this morning, it said the country is more divided than ever. And it's disorienting and it's exhausting. And for those of us who want to come from a place of love and connection, not demand that everyone comes to see our side, but really find that space where we can come together we're tired. 
And so let me encourage you, if that's you today, I know it's, it is me when I think of myself as a citizen of this country. It's okay to take some rest, to allow God's tenderness to meet you in that place. When we come to the table, we come to that place of grace and tenderness. It's where we actually allow ourselves to to feed on God. And so God, Christ, becomes the bread that we eat. God, through Christ, offers us God's very life to us at that table. It's a beautiful image to go with this amazing text. And so in the next few moments, we will, we will take communion together. And I'd like to invite you to uh, open your bulletin and let us <clears throat> read together this invitation to the table. And while these are common words, let's allow them to be bread for our souls this morning remind ourselves that we are not alone, to remind ourselves that God meets us at this table. So I'm going to start, and then when this comes the second line, we are not alone, look around and say it to each other. Say it a few times to the people around you, and then we'll move on. God is with us. We are not alone. You can say to each other, we are not alone. 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 Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to God. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. I'd like to read this, these words from uh, Liturgies from Below, a beautiful book of liturgies. This is my body. This is my blood so often proclaimed, so often heard, under so many circumstances repeated, so little understood. Moving like automatons towards a bread that seeks to be a body, toward a wine that seeks to become life, though returning without becoming body, fearing the sharing of life. There is often no mystery in the mystery even when theologies have tried to shove away these memorable words of Jesus with their disturbing simplicity and their challenging depth. Women and men, we walk seeking whatever magical transformation in our individual lives. We march in loneliness, surrounded by deathly silence, to encounter a dead one. Perverse would be the sacrament if this were its meaning. The master lifts the bread and invites us to see in it Christ's body, all that Christ is, his history, the road he traveled, his actions and his words, his presence and his teaching, his embraces and his promises. To take this body implies commitment with this life, with this Jesus, with his proposals to build a world of justice and solidarity, harmonious and inclusive. The Nazarene takes the cup and questions the disciples. Do they see his blood here? That is the profoundness of his giving, 
the consistency of his spirituality, the connection with a project life-fulfilling for all, even to the point of death, by which some wanted to snatch away such generous love. To go to that cup involves us in a life-fulfilling call still to be discovered and celebrated and shared. Come, let us go in search of that bread, that cup. Let us go in twos, in groups, to a celebration, honoring the one who lives forever, celebrating the wideness of his liberating grace, eating, drinking with intention, being nurtured in body and in spirit, and then going back to everyday life, building community, sharing life. Only then, bread and wine will become sacrament. We're invited to that wild life as we celebrate at this table. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we hear your invitation. We see your action in the world, whether it's the simple beauty of these redwood trees or the change of our own hearts or the healing of a relationship or the sustenance that you provide us along the way. And we give thanks. We also bring to you our tiredness, the places where we are struggling, the ways in which We may just (laughs) need a good nap and need simple bread. We pray that we would be that for each other. Even as you are that for us, may we be your hands and feet. We bring to you the family of Betty Helmer this morning, remembering her life, celebrating the love she shared, with us. May you be the God of all comfort. We bring to you the places in the world that are struggling still with this pandemic, particularly this morning. I'm thinking of my dear friends in Rwanda as COVID is striking their community. In our joy to reconnect, may we still hold and remember and advocate for those who do not have access to the vaccines and to the health care that we do. We ask in prayer for this country that is so divided, that is struggling to find its soul and to unite around our common good. We ask for those who are leading our country in all parties, in all positions. May they be reminded of why they are doing what they are doing. May they be inspired by a love that extends beyond their politics and their party lines to make this into a space that is a better and more perfect nation. May we continue with love and not anger, bitterness, seeking to reconcile where we can, 
even as we seek to to hold and what is right and the justice that we long to see be present in our country. We come to this table, hands open, eyes and face turned up to you, asking that you would feed us and give us something to drink that we may be nourished for the journey ahead. We pray in your name. Amen.